0: Sales Tuners, episode 101, Ali Bretnocker, Senior Account Executive at Sigster.
1: But finding out not just what is important to the company that you might be talking to, but also what might be important to your prospect outside of work and, and how you can really use that to build a meaningful and, and authentic relationship.
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the Attitude, action, action and ability, ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in, dollars in, in just two years. everybody go up. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from an unknown source who said, To the world, you might be one person, but to one person, you might just be the world. This week, I'm joined by Ali Bretnocker, senior account executive at Sixter, an email signature marketing platform. Everyone knows what an email signature is, but most don't know why it's important. Beyond controlling the brand with fonts and colors, Sixer allows marketing teams to centralize the control of both the look and feel, as well as the outward message. With the amount of email we send every day in our professional channel, it's no wonder it fits so well into Allie's passion around helping organizations solve really big problems with software. Outside of work, Ali has run 36 half marathons and five full marathons, and is also a working mom. Something she says helped her create a renewed sense of focus. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 101. But now let's get to the conversation where Allie talks about what a joke her first sales territory was.
1: So my first sales territory, and this is no offense to anybody from any of these states, but it was Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. And so that is LMAO, which also we coined laughing my ass off which I I did once they handed me that territory.
0: (laughs) And you saw the companies that were there, who you were able to prospect into. And yeah, Yeah, I think I have to laugh at that too. I'm sure it was. (laughs) How how did it go?
1: You know, um, the only way I was successful in that territory, Jim, was, was leveraging local relationships and partnering with other reps. It was a really tough patch. After I covered it for a while, they actually decided not to have anyone cover it anymore.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. You know, I, I think about territories often, Ali, because they can make or break sales careers. And, and it's very unfortunate. Like if you were starting at a company and somebody had California by as a state... And then someone else like you had what you just talked about, you know, Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Arkansas, like that's just not even fair. It's not even on the same parallel. You know, I used to run sales for a company called Compendium. And when we were acquired by Oracle, one of my reps got a territory very similar to one that you're talking about. And he just kind of like spiraled out of control because there's just nothing there. And as you said, you have to really lean into local connections and uh, to, to have any chance. Ali, you haven't always been the person that you are today. Take me way back. How did you actually get into sales?
1: My family, our parents had a company and are entrepreneurs. And so I had always kind of thought about that as potentially something that could be in my future. Who knows uh, if that's going to be the case. But I remember the advice that I got early on in my career from my my dad, which was, if you ever want to have your own company, you've really got to learn to sell. And so that is when I started to think about you know my career in sales and getting a job in sales which i which i did and that's really what got me into it and then i haven't really been able to get out of it ever since
0: what was your what was that first job for you the first when you broke in
1: my first job in sales really in you know here's a contract sign it sales if you will i was in economic development for a short amount of time which is kind of selling a city if you will but my first job really in sales was at exact target an email marketing Company that was ultimately bought by Salesforce, and that's where I got that lovely territory we talked about earlier.
0: So I'm intrigued. I want to go back to the economic development. Where did did you do that in Indiana, or where was that?
1: I did. I worked for what was then called Develop Indy in Indianapolis, which was the economic development office now rolled up into the Indy chamber, Chamber. But the idea was was simply to sell the city of Indianapolis, and I got to do that actually internationally. So that took me to Brazil a handful of times really to, to sell and, and showcase our great city. That's
0: really cool. I didn't know that about you. So I'm, I'm currently on the Redevelopment Commission in Fishers, Indiana, and it's taught me so much about the inner workings of city government and how they do have to go out there and, and both market and sell themselves. So I think it's, uh, it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, super, super interesting, for sure. Great experience.
0: Ali, as I watch you and follow you online, Twitter and and social uh, LinkedIn, you really have kind of mastered this concept of social selling and and building relationships to use you, to your advantage. Talk to me about that. Like, wh- how did you start that? Like, what what's your intent? Or I mean, I know you want to try to sell more, but what's what's taking you there? What's, what motivates you there?
1: I feel like in sales, in particular, re- relationships are obviously very important. And so with with social media, you know, becoming more and more common, you know, I would start doing my my call prep and research on on social and then, you know, becoming more interested in, in what companies were sharing there. And I really found so much value in social media outside of just, you know, what my friends are eating for lunch. You know, as I have grown in my career, I've learned how to leverage it even more and more to, to build relationships, but, but doing it in, in an authentic and meaningful way. But finding out not just what is important to the company that you might be talking to, but also what might be important to your prospect outside of work and, and how you can really use that to build a meaningful and, and authentic relationship.
0: Give me an example. I know like after our conversation today, you've got a, a prospect call. What have you done for them? Uh, and, and how are you going to leverage that on the call today?
1: So I actually use social to get the call. So that's probably okay. a good example, yeah. right? So I, um, I as many sales professionals do use LinkedIn all all the time. So you know, a couple of tabs that I have open, a few tabs I've open all day, every day, my email inbox, not surprisingly, um, LinkedIn sales navigator. And then I also use TweetDeck for Twitter. So I you know, have a few different ways that I, I look at what's going on within my network and Twitter. But that call that I got this afternoon, Jim, I, I got by leveraging my connections. I actually saw some, somebody posted about uh, one of my current customers and the success that they've had there. Um, in a partnership that this company had, that I that I have the call with later, and so I reached out to her. I actually was connected with her already. Realized it was through Kyle Lacy, a, a local marketing leader, and so I, I reached out to her and just said, "Hey, you know, we were probably connected from our time in Indianapolis together. Would love to to share how we're, you know, doing work with ex, ex customer that I know you have a relationship with." And she replied within minutes. Right? Absolutely. Would love to. Um, you know, just just something there that is pretty simple, right? but just would not be made possible without me being really diligent on on social media.
0: Do you consider this now a lead or is this a conversation that you have to turn into and figure out if it's a lead or how are you going into that call?
1: You know, these types of conversations, especially when you just don't know kind of where their head's at and and how much they even know about, you know, that what you're doing, it's kind of just an initial conversation to just peek some, see if there's any interest or, um, you know, ways that we could help them.
0: And so, is that a typical prospecting activity for you, or, or talk to me about a typical week? how do you uh, how many leads are you trying to develop? How many calls are you trying to get? Talk to me about that
1: you know I've been in sales for nearly a decade now. The prospecting you're doing now just never ends, right you're always responsible for leveraging relationships and you know other means in order to to get leads and get conversations started so You know, in between calls, and this is something I'm constantly working on, dedicating more time to, right, because it's really hard to prioritize prospecting activities when you have six calls with customers or or potential customers. And so uh, I work really hard to set aside a couple blocks of time where I am, whether it's, you know, going through LinkedIn and just looking through my connections, who's changing jobs or it's you know going through my Twitter feed of companies that are on my top prospect list to see if anything's happened that I should you know reach out about. That is um, you know a lot of what I focus on when I'm when I'm prospecting. And so typically you know for us as AEs at Sixter, we're we're trying to generate you know one new meeting a week, uh, which which seems so simple. But when you have a calendar like I do, sometimes it's really hard to find find that that time. But certainly. Something that we're striving towards to make sure that, that as AEs, we're filling our own pipeline and not just relying on, on inbound and, and our SDR team to do that for us.
0: There's something about having that discipline that every rep should have, right? I, I've always been of the mantra that everyone is always prospecting. They're either prospecting for a new business or they're prospecting for a new job. Um, because <laughs> if you're in sales and you're not, pro- I, I get so sick and tired of hearing, well, the leads are weak. You know, I go back to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or my SDR didn't set the right appointment. I'm like, well, screw that. How about you go do something? And uh, it's just, it's kind of frustrating. So I love hearing it when, when AEs are still doing their own prospecting, at least some amount of it, right? Because I know we all have busy calendars, but you got you to gotta keep your pulse, I guess, in my opinion. In a conversation in the past, Ali, you mentioned uh, a, a mantra that has been told many times or been said many times. It's not what you know, it's who you know. I know you believe that as well because your network is very important to you. How do you uh, continuously invest in and build that network?
1: You know, as I mentioned before, being a working mom now, it's, it's hard to find and dedicate the time to going to traditional type networking events, right? So for me, building my, my network, uh, it's about, you know, having the opportunity to go to maybe a trade show or an industry event that Sigster allows me to go, go to. But I also help run a, a local organization called Linking Indie Women, where we invite a guest speaker in once a month. It doesn't have to be from tech uh, in particular. It's all different industries and, and walks of life to share her story. And I've met so many incredible women from the city that way. And I don't really use it from a you know, sales capacity. Because that just it comes naturally, right? Uh, I just I'm there to help inspire and connect women in our our city in order to help you know improve their lives and build connections for them, and that in turn has just yielded uh, great relationships for for me as well.
0: You talked about the role of a working mom. You know your daughter's about to turn one. I want to ask this question because I haven't had a guest um, uh, that I could ask this to. What changed for you from when? Uh, not not during your pregnancy, right? But once you came back from maternity leave, what was the biggest thing that changed for you?
1: It's just the way I think about life at work. You just realize immediately how important time is and how precious time is, and you just stop caring about the little things, right? And just you're just focusing on doing really great work and being an amazing professional and colleague and partner because of you know what you have to go home to. So for me, it was just this instant like man, I really just don't care about some of that little stuff anymore. Um, or, you know, if somebody, I just feel like such a different person. It's it's hard to describe though, Jim. And and I've been asked similar questions before, but that's an interesting way of, of looking at it. The other thing that changed, and this isn't anything against anybody on our team, but it was like once I became a mom, you know, as an example, our VP of sales was like, oh, would you want to go to that event? Like I know now that, you know, you have you know, a daughter at home, it's like, of course, I want the opportunity to go to that just like anybody, any of my colleagues would, right? To, to be a part of it. And it's just funny. I knew that he was thinking about that because he's got three girls at home and he probably knows what, what it's like a little bit. But I was like, hey, it's actually a, a treat for me sometimes to, yeah, to get sure. away a little bit. It's almost like, too, what hasn't changed? This <laughs> feels like it's 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 what it, what hasn't changed, but then it's, it's so different at the same time. Such a, an interesting... Thing to try to explain and articulate.
0: I, I like it. I think what the, thing, the theme that I'm picking up from you is it, it's focus, right? Because you you now come to work with a, a purpose because you don't want to sit there all day. Where in the past there it didn't matter how long you stayed because you know yeah I know you had a husband, but you could just work as long as you needed to. Now if you do that, you truly are stealing time from your daughters. That's what it sounded like to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And if any if anything, really, it's it's made me. That much more efficient at work, right? There's no, which I miss some of the the time where I could just knew I could spend time building relationships with my colleagues and you know the water cooler type of talk, which which certainly still happens. But for me now, it's like I've got to get everything done that I want to do because I've I've got to get home to to her. And certainly, you know, now at her age, she goes to bed early, so I could always open my laptop after that. But you know, certainly, it's that's an exhausting. Exhausting routine.
0: For sure. My wife and I've had the conversation that, you know, there's only a period of time where there's a window where your kid actually likes you and wants to be with you. You know, my son's five, and I'm going to take full advantage of that right now. Like, there's going to be a day where he's like, Dad, you're just not cool. Or, Dad, I want to hang out with my friends. So, uh, you're, I'm with you. Like, I'm going to invest as much time as possible with that uh, right now. So, Ali, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, this notion of you being an introvert. A lot of people believe that to be successful in sales, you got to be this outgoing extrovert, uh, and, and you've proven that wrong many times. Talk to me about how you see that uh, dichotomy.
1: I find it so interesting now all the content that's coming out about you know great salespeople being introverts, which I can totally appreciate because I I test as introverted. I certainly. You know, come home after a networking event, just exhausted, or you know, after a day of being on, you know, constantly being on calls, I'm just wiped. Um, and a lot of it comes from me just not necessarily naturally being that extroverted type. People typically think of a salesperson as somebody who, you know, kind of that used car salesperson who just can talk to anyone and and you know, go into a room, shake everyone's hand, wants to talk to everybody about everything. And for me, like. It just doesn't come natural, and so if I'm put in a position where I need to do that to, you know, do a, a good job, I certainly can. But to me, it's just just draining. So I, I enjoy, you know, talking to and working with with my customers. But I certainly, um, you know, recharge when I get home at night and have a chance to unplug.
0: I, I want to talk, I guess, more now about how you manage uh, opportunities. In today's world of SaaS, you know, it, it just, you know, you show the demo, uh, you try to cre- create the right solution for them. But talk to me about your process. What does a, a good discovery uh, sound like to you? Or how, do, how are you managing your opportunities?
1: You know, and this is something that's always a work in progress, right? At a fast-growing software company, it's already changed so much since I've, I've been on the team for um, over a year and a half now. But our, our typical sales process is our first call is not just a discovery but it's also typically a demo and a demo for us, um, you know, might mean just providing an overview with, with some slides, right. Maybe not actually looking at the software, but you know, for, for that first call to go really well, I think discovery is such an important aspect of that. And so what that typically looks like for, for me is a lot of that done on the front end, right. To, to our, you know, topic of talking about social doing as much research as I possibly can to be as prepared as I can for that call so that I'm not asking questions that I already know the answer to, given that research. And I want to come to that call, giving that prospect the feeling that that they're important and that I've done my due diligence and that I care enough, right? That they're not just yet another demo. So another thing that we've started doing um, that I really have found to be such a, a small thing, but such a huge thing at the same time, Is part of our process after that initial demo or discovery, we will send out a handwritten thank you note to our prospect, and this is something that I started doing that now the whole team does, and we've gotten some you know some people, tweeting about it, just talking about how meaningful that is and how unexpected that type of small piece of the process has been. So that's super. It's super interesting because I don't know that, and I, I don't know if anyone else has ever told you that as part of their process, but that's something that I think we're using just to try to set ourselves apart, right? Anything you can do to humanize that, that process um, is, is something that I think is really important. I feel like today's buyer has a ex- certain expectation when it comes to getting a demo and going through the process of evaluating software. And I feel for them because I've, I've sat through some demos and sales process that are just really painful, Right. It is not at all about you. It's all about them. And so for us at Sigster, we're just, we're trying to have that come across early on in our process, letting them know that this, this isn't just another marketing channel. It can be one of the most meaningful channels, right? But, but here's why for, for you and, and learning as much as we can about them and how we fit in to helping their particular business and then just going above and beyond with the use of, of handwritten notes, with the use of perhaps video or, you know, things like that that can really help set us apart and working with our marketing team, perhaps to, to send them something because of something we saw on their, on their Twitter, right? We're, we're just trying really hard to stand out in all the noise.
0: What is the most common pushback or, or, or objection, I guess, that you get for what you're selling today?
1: People don't necessarily prioritize what we're doing. I think our biggest challenge is figuring out how we get to the top of the priority list. You know, like I mentioned, there's so many marketing technologies out there. We're we're all competing against each other, whether we do the same thing or not, for that that piece of, that share of wallet, right? The piece of the pie. So I think our biggest challenge is just making sure that we learn enough and do enough discovery to where we can really tie what we're doing back to meaningful business results. And that's certainly easier said than done. And it depends on who you talk to and how much they're willing to share to help you craft that story and narrative. But for us, we're more su- we're the most successful when we can help paint that picture for our prospect and help them understand really how this could be meaningful and impactful for their business in terms of ROI and real results versus just thinking about it in terms of open rates and, and clicks and, and things of that nature.
0: So it's that age-old dilemma of nice to have versus need to have.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yes, yeah. So
0: when you come into discovery, you talked about sometimes it's um, you know half demo. Or I'm sorry, half half disco, half half demo. But sometimes that demo is just more of a slide deck. So are you bringing ideas then to that uh, first meeting that of how they could use the product specifically to
1: them? Yes. Exactly, Jim. So so for us, we know we know our most successful use cases. So, you know, an example of our top use case is promoting a customer conference or an event of some sort, a webinar, a trade show, what have you. And so a lot of times when we're doing research, I, I typically will go on a website and try to look for really important events coming up or, you know, white papers that they've just released, things that I know our other customers are sex- successfully promoting in the email signature marketing, you know, as a channel. So I'll come prepared to the call to be able to, to mention and speak to those things. And, and also I will customize my, my decks or, or, you know, um, case studies that I share based on what I can see on their websites important to them. They might tell me something different altogether when we get on the call, but at least I can try to craft something more custom to them. And that's, that's worked really well for me being able to pull out a case study. That's like, Hey, I see you do a webinar a month. Here's how our customer was able to drive, you know, 50% more registrations in a week. Is that meaningful? Would that be helpful? And what does, that, what does that mean to your business?
0: You know, just in talking to you even on our conversation today, your personality is very uh, open and genuine and sincere. But the question I have is like, I, do you come across personally many guarded prospects that just aren't willing to share anything from end? And if so, what do you do to, to overcome that?
1: More than anything, I want people to see me as a, as a person too, who's really just here genuinely wanting to help. And, you know, so many bad p- salespeople kind of are the reason that prospects can be so guarded, right? They don't, you know, you kind of have to earn the right to ask certain questions. And so the way that I, I try to build meaningful relationships is is by being, being as much of myself as I can. I think I do my best work when I have a good relationship with my prospect um, because, there's a comfort level on both sides where we're, we're just trying to help each other. I'm trying to help them, you know, drive results and get promoted. And, and they in turn then are, are also trying to help me um, as well. What do you
0: mean by that? You're helping them try to get promoted as well.
1: So this kind of goes, goes back to a, a core value. Actually, at my days at exact target of, of, you know, having, having customers look like rock stars or, or heroes. Right. And that's also something that's really important at, at Sigster and our, our idea is just to always keep that in mind. You know, the person on the other end of the phone is trying to feed their family just as much as you are. Right. And so how do we figure out how we make them so successful using our product that they get promoted in their job? Right. That it was something that was such a success that that it helps them have more success. So that's something we are constantly talking about as a driver for how we're helping.
0: Ali, I'm going to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Allie, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready, Jim. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
1: I'd say my genuine desire to, to learn and, and really be helpful.
0: If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing?
1: I would tell myself to, to shadow as many calls as possible and, and don't ever stop, stop doing that even when you have experience because learning from colleagues can be really, really impactful
0: two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose.
1: I really freaking love to win. It's that feeling you get from winning. I mean, who? I I can't imagine anyone wouldn't love that feeling. Um, I can't get enough of it.
0: What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others?
1: What comes to mind for me is I just love, I love Malcolm Gladwell's books so interesting to me, whether it's, it's Blink or Tipping Point. And then I love his, his podcast. I don't know if you've heard that, Jim. Uh, Revisionist History is, is excellent as well.
0: The sales SalesTuners, if you'd like to check out Ali's suggestion of Blink or The Tipping Point for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. And if you're like Ali and you have that commute, Audible is going to be great to get those books on tape. Ali, what is currently at the top of your bucket list?
1: Take, take a vacation. <laughs> it's sometimes so much harder said than done. That is the top of my bucket list, Jim. And I might not be traveling the world, um, but I'm going to make that happen.
0: Allie, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today?
1: I'm going to use a quote that our, our founder and president, Dan Hanrahan, says all the time. And that's the harder that you work, the luckier you become. I, I can't stress enough just how, how I know that it's really hard to grind sometimes, but it, it will it will all pay off. So just just keep your head down and, and keep grinding and, uh, and, and the rewards will come as a result.
0: Stop caring about the little things and just focus on doing great work. I loved hearing that from Allie and it's so, so true. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, use social for call prep. While doing research on prospects, it's obvious you need to look at the company website and blog to see what their initiatives are. But it's just as important to look at social channels like LinkedIn and Twitter to see what's important to the person you're going to be speaking with beyond their work life. Use this information to connect with them on a human level. Number two, set aside time for social prospecting. It can be distracting to always have social platforms present while you're working. Trust me, that's coming from someone who's looking at Twitter right now. But by setting aside time to specifically prospect via social, you can add a lot of leverage into your day. Take 30 minutes to scour your LinkedIn contacts looking for job changes. Set up searches on Sales Navigator for your ideal customer profile so you can be alerted when they post something. Set up TweetDeck to look for keywords and phrases that you can respond to in real time. And lastly, set a goal for yourself so you can measure the activity. Number three, focus on doing great work. I remember being quote unquote busy early in my career and looking at those who had kids and wondering how in the world they did it. Then I had a kid of my own. Now, this is not just advice for parents, but the lessons learned can be greatly impactful for your career. Take an honest look at your day. How much of it are you wasting in between meetings, having mindless banter with coworkers, or checking your fantasy sports scores? What if you had to get all of your work done between 9 and 5 and weren't allowed to open your laptop later at night? What would you cut out? What would you be intentional about focusing on? That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at sales tuners or shoot me an email, Jim at sales I reply to every message that I get. All right, I hope you see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts.
1: And they stay there! Stay-